You're listening to Awakening with Rabbi Ami Silver on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Ami as he shares from the wellsprings of Jewish spiritual teaching and practice and guides us on a path of healing, transformation, and awakening to experiencing the divine. Let's begin. This learning may be for the Rifuash Lema of Rafael Ben Chana, of Daniel Avram Rafael Ben Esther Shandel, of anyone on your hearts who is in need of healing, strengthening, and Rafuah uh, for everybody who needs it. Um, this period of time that we're entering into, which is sometimes called the three weeks, sometimes called Bein HaMetzarim, between the narrow places, it begins now. Some of you are still in the 17th of Tammuz. Some of us are already inching into the 18th of Tammuz. But um, it's a period where a lot of our norms kind of Breakdown. This day in particular that starts off this period from now till Tisha B'Av is commemorating a number of instances where what was and what should have or we thought would always be ceased to be. I think we see it kind of very poignantly. For example, one of the things listed by the Mishnah that's happened on this day is Butal HaTamid. In the temple, the tamid, the daily offering, was butal. It stopped. And, and butal ha-tamid, the tamid really means that which is constant, the always. That which was always stopped being at a certain point. Our always ceased on this day. The very first instance that, that made this day something to mark is obviously the breaking of the luchot, the smashing of the tablets at Mount Sinai. This gift from God or this kind of physical object that holds together a meeting point between the creator and creation, between heaven and earth, God's word is somehow etched in stone, shattered to bits. And then obviously there's more historical moments that have more to do with the leading to the destruction of the temple, the walls of the city of Jerusalem being breached. Again, a city that we imagined would always be protected. A divine place that even you see this in the, in the language of the prophets, people saying it's impossible. God would never let this happen. And then God does let it happen. So, in a certain sense, and part of what I want to look at today is we are entering into a period that's typified by a kind of quality of encountering that which we never imagined to be, and yet it is right here in front of us. And how do we engage with that? And how do we approach that? And what do we do with that? That's, in a sense, what we're engaged in in a process in these next three weeks. Uh, where things are falling apart. And, and it's a, a time period where we're in the practice of living with things falling apart and having fallen apart. So to begin, 
I want to share a, a Gemara. Um, it shows up in a few places, but um, hold on one sec, just a technical piece here. Shows up in a few places in, in, in the Talmud. I'm going to read you a version from Sachim Tafnun Amid Aleph. It says in the Gemara that Rav Yosef, the son of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, became very weak, became very sick, and, and his soul departed him. He basically was on his way out. But then he came back to himself. Amarle Avuha. His father says to him, My chazita, what did you see? He says, to, he says, I saw an upside-down world. I saw a world turned inside out. The story, by the way, it sounds like it was written by Lewis Carroll or something. I saw a world turned upside-down. That which is high was below. That which was low it was, was up high. Or... Perhaps the heavens were below and the earth was above. What is above was below, what is below was above. Amarlo, he says to him, Bini, olam barura ita. So I says to him, son, you saw a clear world. You saw the world clearly. This upside down world you saw. And then he asks him, Vanan hechiyatam. He says, what are we like over there in that world? I understand you saw a world where the high is the low and the low is the high. What, where were we? He says to him, Just like we are right here, that's what we were like over there. So there's, there's, there's a puzzle here. Um, what strikes me is this dance between I saw a world upside down and being told the upside down world you saw was clear vision. You saw truth, or you saw with clarity. And what is the nature of that clarity? What is above, or we might say that which we perceive as being elion, higher, elevated, important perhaps, was below, was, was not so high. And that which we see as below, the Tachtonim, was the Mala. That was what was truly high. So this world that, that he perceives, in a sense, flips, flips all of the ways in which we interpret what we see, right? We, we interpret certain things as being elevated, certain things as being very low. For our instances here, why, part of why, why I'm relating to that here in this moment, this time of the year is the low point of the year. These moments in our history that we kind of contact and, and contact in our, in our present state of, of grief, of mourning, of of feeling the, the pain and the loss of them, we experience this as something, something low, something difficult, 
something unpleasant. And, and what I want to suggest is that there's something here in this inside out, upside down, backwards time of year that we're in, which offers a certain kind of clarity of perception in Olam Barur that we're able to see. And, and actually a flipping where that which seems and appears to be lamata, very low, has something very high and elevated. And maybe to shift away from this language of, of up and down, which is symbolic, that which perhaps is experienced as being um, exilic, far from the reality we hope to see, distant from that which we hope to be close to, that it might in fact be offering us a kind of closeness that we don't experience when things are not hafuch, when things are in their kind of normative structures. So that said, I want to jump in to, to some of the teachings and articulations about specifically this time of year and, and how I believe this is reflected in, uh, in these teachings and, and, and a kind of process that, that's being, I think, unfolded here or laid out before us. To begin, I want to bring a teaching from the Bnei Saschar of Tzviyad Melech Medinov. The Bnei Saschar, something he does that's very unique, is he wrote a sefer all about the turnings of the year, the months of the year, the days of the year, the time process that we, that we live through. And he goes month by month. And here's what he, what he, what he brings for, for the time of year we're in. Just a few words of, of uh, background. There are traditions, Kabbalistic traditions, that each month of the year has a, a letter in the alphabet that is kind of its central quality. That's a tradition that comes from the Sefer Yitzira. There are body parts associated with every month. There are body functions associated with every month. There are also names of God, or rather a seruf, a permutation of the name yod Vavke that each month embodies. In a sense, this is God's name of the month. <laughs> um, you know, the four letters, if you multiply them by themselves, you get 12 different combinations. We get 12 instead of 16 because there are two haze there. But so, so the months, each one has its own name through which God is, in a sense, revealed, made known to us, through which the divine is expressed in this time of year. So these are all things that he's going to relate to. So he says the tzeruf of God's name during the month of Tammuz is hey vav hey yud. Okay, hey vav hey yud is the complete reversal of God's name. This is the month of the year where God's name is being expressed completely in its, in its opposite, completely backwards. And he says that it comes from the pasuk, v'chol shoveli, beautiful pasuk from Megillat Esther. There's a moment when Haman comes home and he starts to brag about all of his riches and gold and all that. And he says, shoveli, All of this, all of my honor, all of my wealth, it's worth nothing to me every time I see that guy Mordechai in the gate who doesn't bow to me. And if you look at the, the sofe table, the last letters, the end letters of those words, Zeh, 
you get a hey, Einenu, you get a Vav, Shove, you get a hey, Li, you get a Yud. This is the source of this divine name. It's the end of Haman's statement of all that I have here is worthless because of this one thing. And in a sense, this is perhaps the moment that Haman comes the closest to, to God in the story. Because he, it's a moment of realizing that everything that I've built my personality around, everything I've built my honor around, everything I've built my kind of sense of what I'm going to achieve here that is, is really kind of wrapped up in, in his honor and wealth, he realizes there is a point at which it's all not enough. And there is a point at which it's all worthless. The point where he's saying it just doesn't add up. There's something more important than all that. Now, sadly, Haman's more important than all that is something else, is that Mordechai won't bow to him. But, but there's within those words, within that statement, Koza Enenu Shoveli, saying that all of this, there is something more, right? The back end of that statement in this, in this teaching is the, is the backwards name of God. There is a relationship to God that is embedded in there, but that is taking place in a kind of hafuch al hafuch way. It is inverted. It's not, it's not direct. It's completely indirect. It's completely on the other side of whatever this experience is. And then he goes on and he says, that the next month, Chodesh Av, the tseiruf of God's name, is hey vav yud hey, is havaya, and that name is hinted to the Torah in a pasuk that is in the plagues in Egypt. Hine yad Hashem hoya b'miknecha, the hand of God hoya b'miknecha. It will be, it will strike your your livestock. So he goes on to explain that that the backward nature of God's name has to do with din, has to do with the severity of this time the judgment and constriction and, and, and painful realities of this time. Right? Just to imagine for a moment what it could potentially mean for God to be here, but to be completely backwards, to be acting, appearing, expressing, being contacted in the inversion of all that we hold to be godly. And, and in a sense, if we just kind of do a, you know, trace the history of the events that have happened during this time of of, of year, in a sense, this is, these are all the moments in which we would say, God is not here. God has left the building. God has abandoned us. God has let go. God is absent. And, and the way that that's being expressed is God is backwards. <laughs> we'll talk about this a little more. But just to lay out some of the, the general framings here. And he goes on and he explains that the month of Av, Hey Vav Yud Hey, so Hey Vav, the first half of that month, God's name is still backwards. Right? It's not Vav Hey, which is one of the couplets of God's name. It's Hey Vav still. It's still in its inverted form. But he says that then we get the Yud Hey, the second half of the name of Av. And the second half of that month of Av is a time where the divine reality becomes. Um, accessible again, somehow uncovered again in its orderly way, in its yud and And he relates this, and he's not the only one to do this, but he relates it to the month being 
30 days. The 15th day of, of the month of Av, we have Tuba Av. We have this day that was a day of, of union, a day of coupling, a day of coming together. And, and from that day on, we know that we start to shift towards the month of Elul, towards the month of Tishrei, towards the month of, the months of, of um, not only comfort, but also tshuva and, and kind of returning to God with love. Okay, but that, that shift only happens halfway through the month of Av. And that's um, symbolized by the name of God kind of turning itself around from being backwards to beginning to express, express itself in the if forward way once again. Um, two other pieces here that, uh, that are important for, for us here are that the, the letters attached to these months, the letter of Tammuz is Chet, and the letter of Av is Tet. And the body um, faculties related to these months are vision, re'iyah, related to the month of Tammuz, and shmi'ah, hearing, related to the month of Av. And now, the Bnei Sachser goes on, I'm not going to read this all inside, but kind of to give you a general framework here, he goes on to say, the Chet and the Tet of these months is in a sense related to the Chet, right? Spelling the, the word Chet, spelling the, the word of our break, the breakdown of our relationship with God that takes place during this time. And he relates it biblically to the not only breaking of the lucho, the shattering of the tablets as a, in, in, in response to the golden calf, but then the next great chet, which is the chet hamaraglim, the, 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 the spies that, that come on the heels of that, which is the, the first tisha b'av. And he goes on to say that the, those body senses of vision and hearing, they all come out in that story that the spies go out and they see the land in a certain way and they come back and they speak and the people hear of a certain thing. And all of the breakdown that's happening here in these months is a breakdown of vision and hearing. Is a breakdown that, that is impacted by what we see and what we hear. And then on the flip, the flip side of that is that the kind of spiritual work of these months and the, that which we are grappling with or developing or attuned to during this time is, in this month in particular, the sense of vision. In the month of Av in particular, the sense of, of hearing. I just want to talk a moment what it could mean for us for our vision of God being one of back, that is backwards. <laughs> okay. That in this month, it's a month of seeing. And what we are seeing is something that, that really looks like the opposite of what we would imagine we see. And the great challenge of that becomes, let's just bring it down for, for a moment. What do I do? How do I live with when what I see is the opposite of God, is the opposite of holy, is the opposite of all of those reliable sources and structures of support, of constancy and stability? What 
What does it mean to relate to a backwards God? Before we even get to a backwards God, how do I relate to a backwards reality? What is my position there? I think a lot of the time, the natural instinct is to also turn away from that reality, or at least to try to. To try to ignore what we're witnessing, to try to turn away from what is in our face here to maybe tell ourselves a story that is other than than what's truly happening here. All of those modes, in a sense, are, like I said, very natural, very understandable. But they do not allow us to access the divine that is there, that is here, when things are backwards, when things are broken. And when we come to the level of ri'iyah, vision, we basically um, confine ourselves to a kind of rigid vision that we are trying to impose on our lives, on our world, on our circumstance. A vision that's not going to allow us to, to really encounter what's here a vision that we might say isn't true vision either. So the beginning point here is to see, let ourselves see the backward reality that we are encountering and to develop the sense of, okay, this is God now. What's expressed by the God, the name of God being backwards, coming out of those end letters of Haman, cursing at his, at his lot, okay? Oh, I guess this is God right now. And so when this is God right now, I'm not putting what I wish to see on the world. I'm letting something be shown to me here that... I might not get to some kind of great understanding of, but I'm at least making space that will allow me to encounter what is here. And what happens when I let myself encounter what is here is that as I make more space for that and me to live together, as I make more space for God to be backwards here, for this backwards olam hafuch, to, yes, be possible, because, lo and behold, here it is, for God's name to be expressed in its backward form. So bit by bit, we actually become to live with it a little more, and, and it ch- changes and shifts from this kind of threatening other, you know, force that I'm trying to protect myself from, and it becomes something that just is. 
And this is the shift that takes place or that we are being shown as possible, specifically in the time when we are encountering all that's missing and broken, all that is falling apart. We first work to encounter, okay, this too is divine. Okay, this is, I'm going to learn to live with the backwardsness, the backwardness of God right now. And what we end up moving toward eventually in the month of Av is God as Havaya. God as Heva Vyud Hey, Havaya means it's just being. Havaya isn't merely a way to say a name of God, but on its own, it's a word that just means what is. It's not even a name when we call God as Havaya. We'll, we'll, we'll look at something about this in a moment. But when we say the word Havaya, what we're saying is reality. What we're saying is being, not a being somewhere outside of reality, but being itself. That's the name that we end up calling God by after we transcend and walk through the Olam Hafuch, when we can become a little more situated in the world as it is, as backward as it is, as challenging as it is to our sensibilities and, and projections, when we ease ourselves into that and live with it more and more, make space for it more and more, we reach a place where, oh, this is just what is. And, and I want to share with you a little later in this teaching that May Saskar says something kind of astounding about this. He says, If we meditate on this, there's this principle that the customs, the traditions, the transmissions throughout the generations are themselves Torah. These transmissions and, and traditions that just kind of arise from within our natural rhythms of life from generation to generation, this itself is, is, is Torah. It's not written anywhere, but it's the Torah that emerges from, from life over time. And he says it's like this. So how do, when, when, when Jewish people want to speak about the name of God, the name that we are forbidden from pronouncing, right? We cannot say that actual name. So what do we say? We call it Shem Havaya. That's, in a sense, the coded name of that ineffable divine name. Shem Havaya, the name of Havaya. And he says, you know, isn't it interesting that the name of God of the month of Av, of all the months possible, the Hei Vav Yud Hei, of all the months, of all the permutations, of all the ways we could say, this is the way that's come to be. This is the way that's come to be. And he's teaching this on the heels of, of bringing not only teachings that relate the month of Av to the month of of Nisan, the month of redemption, which, by the way, if you think, what's the name of the month of redemption in the Torah? It's Chodesh HaAviv, the month of Aviv, of spring, is Me'ain, it shares in its essence a kind of quality with the month of Av, which seems to not make any sense, because Av is a month of, of total exile, and Nisan is a month of total redemption. And yet at the very same time, we're told that this entire period of loss and mourning and exile will itself be 
the concentrated time of redemption. And just to kind of fill in some of the pieces here, that Mashiach is born on the afternoon of Tisha B'Av itself. That the prophet Zechariah says, all of your fast days, and, and this day itself, the 17th of Tammuz, among them, all your fast days are going to become, Mo'adim are going to become holidays and days of celebration. These points, again, of lowness, of brokenness, of exile, will become the days of exaltation. Tachtonim lemala, like the son of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi saw when he went to that olam hafuch, that I didn't understand what was below was was above, what was broken was somehow that sense of wholeness. And his father said to him, you saw a world of, of clarity. There is a teaching, there is many teachings that this is, this is what this time period is about, is that it's the low point that is itself somehow containing the seed that is the response and healing of all that's missing, and that the way to access it is through this place of loss and pain. So all that said, we come back and we see that the, the, the name of God, the common way we relate to God is, is Havaya, Havaya, Havaya. And he says that it's because on this month, as it says in the prophet, I will, I will do niflaot for you, I will do wonders for you, it will be like when you came out of Egypt. And you know what? Nisan, the, 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 the month of redemption is the only month where God's name is in order. The only month when, so to speak, God did the right thing. It worked out. The name makes sense. You know, the only time that happens is, is, is in the month of Nisan. The only time that happens is when we have the, the story of redemption of Egypt. All the other months are, are out of order in one way or another. But it's that month where it all is laid out, it is all expressed, it is all clear and revealed. That's our model of redemption. And the prophet says, it's going to be that way in this month too. And so this month becomes our code name for the name of that month. Not the name of that month so much, but, but what that month, what that name expresses, which is, yes, we acknowledge and accept and feel and sense God truly is here. This, as it is, is God's expression. And what do we call that? We call that name Havaya. Now the Bnei Yitzchak takes it to the, to the direction that we're calling God Havaya because the way we access the name of God that we cannot speak on its own is by speaking of the month, so to speak, that's going to be transformed to a time of redemption. But I believe that part of what's also being expressed here is that what is that ultimate wonder that's being spoken of? That Torah, you know, min hagavotenu Torahi, it's reaching a place more and more where we can truly say to each other, who is God? What is our God? Havaya. Then in the truest sense, what is, is God. Then in the truest sense, God is here in what is. And that we walk through a corridor 
not just now in three weeks, but year after year after year, moment after moment after moment, developing a sense more and more over time that somehow embedded in these moments of exile, of distance, of brokenness, of lamata, of that which feels very low, there is something that's being accessed here which is very, very close which contains a kind of wholeness to it that actually transcends that brokenness or that is on the other side of that brokenness. And that the direction that that we're being shown is that this is where that will be found. This is where that will be found. He has one other one other way to express this that I'm going to try to just speak to without going into the text, where he brings other teachings from, from the, the Arizal that the months of the year are, are related to another name of God and other letters, <laughs> and that this this month spells, spells the word is Tammuz Dalid and Av is Lamid, and these months together are Dal. Dal, right? Dal in Hebrew means low, it means weak, it means poor, impoverished. And he says that Dal has, has two sides to it. We see, Arumim Hashem ki dilitani. It's one of those beautiful things about the Hebrew language where words oftentimes mean their opposites. So lidlot, dilitani, means you've lifted me. Why is it called you lifted me? Because a dli is a bucket. (laughs) So you've bucketed me, God. Now the bucket also goes to the lowest place. It goes to the place that is the most dull, and it also gets lifted. So he brings us to color in here too. Rumim chashem ki dilitani is... Yes, I've experienced lowness, and from experiencing such lowness... There itself, you've lifted me. From that place itself, you've lifted, you've lifted me. And, and part of the way in, okay, the, this kind of process of entering into a constricted place, a difficult place, a painful place, and being lifted through it, being carried through it, being made more whole through it, it's not something that is accomplished by being told the theory. It's something that each one of us, in our own ways, has the encounter with, the potential to enter into. I think the opening that this time of year is, is, is presenting us with is to begin with, let ourselves see what is here, see what is backwards to, see that which challenges us as, okay, this, is, this too is God. To embrace the backwards name to embrace the expression of God that strikes us as something that smacks in the face of everything that we've 
assumed until now, perhaps even believed until now, perhaps even, and this is the, the difficult part, relied on previously. We reach breaking points. And we're being told here there's such thing as a name that is backwards. And it is backwards and it is a name nonetheless. And this is a process. And we spend time first by just opening ourselves to that possibility. You know, there's a custom brought by the Ari that the Ari used during this time of year. He, he advised people to say Tikkun Chatzot in the middle of the day. Tikkun Chatzot is the midnight prayer. It's a midnight prayer um, over the exile of the Shekhinah. It's a midnight prayer said in the, the moment of deepest darkness of night when those who say it will, will rise and call and cry and sing and commune with God and pray for redemption. Teresa says during this time of year, say Tihuchatz in the middle of the day, not just in the middle of the night. Now, on the one hand, what is that? What what that does for us is, you know, what, what are we looking at here? Are we are is our day turning to night now? Are we really just saying that there is a darkness that pervades everything? To enter into Tikkun Chatzot in the middle of the day. We just sit on the ground and open ourselves. Really, this is what Tikkun Chatzot is about. We are opening ourselves to that which is missing, to that which is absent. And when we open ourselves in a heartfelt way to that which is absent, when we encounter that absence and pray for that absence and be with that absence, we learn through that process to be more present with that absence. We are at the same time inviting more of it in and also touching something of realness that allows us to be here with what is missing rather than for it to be some kind of phantom force that we do our best to try to run away from. We can open up the space of the heart in the middle of the day to feel that absence and in doing so to be brought a little more into contact of being alive here in this moment along with it. It's another process and practice of embracing the backwards name of God and walking, stepping, moving a little more closely towards Havaya. Just being with the being that is being in this moment. The next sources I want to look at are from uh, the House of Ishbitz and the teachings of the Beit Yaakov and of the Meshivach on, on this month and, and Kedar Kam, as is their way they're going to talk about this process, these processes in a, not like the Bnei Tzachar who just sort of lays out a lot of the frameworks and the theory, but, but in, in the way that it touches the soul, the way that it touches our experience. So this is from the Beis Yaakov, 
the second Ishbitzer Rebbe on his teachings on Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. He starts off like this. Shir Hamalo, the David, he's quoting to him 131. Hashem lo gavalibi velo ramu einai. God, this is the song of ascent to David. God, my heart was not haughty. My eyes did not look to that which is, I guess, beyond me. I didn't walk a path of something grandiose, of something beyond my stature. This is the pasuk we're really going to focus on. If I did not, or rather, rather, David is saying, Shiviti, I stayed with a sense of equanimity, I stayed grounded. Vidomamti nafshi, and my soul was domem. I, I made my soul domem, which means I made it present, I made it solid, I made it, I put it in its place, perhaps even I allowed it to be silent. Kigamul alei imo, kigamul alei nafshi. It's kind of a puzzling pasuk. The a, a, a gamul, literally the word gamal or ligamel, it means a weaned one, some a, a child who's been weaned. But all of the commentators say that here, no, it really means a nursing baby. So David's saying, God, I didn't, I didn't put myself in like above my stature. How did I act? How did I treat my soul? My nefesh, kigamol alei imo. I was like a nursing babe on its mother's breast. Kigamol alei nafshi. My soul is to me like a nursing baby. In a sense, he's basically saying, I didn't just sort of cut off from you, God, and try to go on some trip of my own. But I continued to just view myself as, as a, a suckling infant. And now look what the Beis Yaakov says. As we meditate all, on all of the shiramalots, all of the songs of a set that, that King David um, sang and wrote in Tehillim. He says, what were the Shiramalots about? All of these songs of ascent that David sang, all of them were about something that on the surface of it, it seemed that there was absolutely no hope for it. All of the songs of ascent, he says, are things that David is singing about that look, appear to have no hope. As is taught in the Gemara, that it's al masukin ditahoma kimavar gemara. The gemara in Masechet Sukkah tells a, a wild story about the Shir Hamalo. They say, why are they called songs of ascent? So they say that it has to do with David praying about the underwaters, these waters of the deep, what are called the Metahom, Tahom literally the abyss, these dark cavernous waters under the earth that at first the Gemara says threatened to flood the earth like it did in the time of Noah and David sang these songs of Shir Hamalo to stop them from flooding. But then the Gemara says, but if David sang those songs to stop the flood from coming, why would they be called a song of rising, of ascent? It must be something else. 
So they talk about a time when the water was, was all the way down and it had to come up. They, they needed water and David, David prayed for them to rise, but then they came too high. And he prayed again and they came just low enough. Shir Hamalot al-Masukin Tahoma on the rising of the waters of the abyss. That's what David is singing about here. And the Beis Yaakov is saying, what does it mean that David is singing to the waters of the abyss? It means that David is speaking to a place that seems hopeless. He is praying over a sense of hopelessness. We go on. David's prayers here are prayers that raise up the abyss. They raise the Tehom. The Tehom, which feels like an inaccessible place of hopelessness, the abyss itself, David, is, is asking to be raised up. To be given a chance. It says he's reaching to a place of water, of a source of life that never dries up. He's reaching to the water that exists beneath all the depths of the earth, and he's asking it to come and give him hope. He's drawing light upon himself from eternal life. Because it is in that place of eternal life, of the life of the world to come, which perhaps is akin to that world that that uh, the Chacham saw in the Gemara, where things are backwards than they appear. That it's he's calling to a place where God would make it clear to him that everything he ever did was l'shem shamayim, was in in line with God. And here, he's coming to these words now that we read in Tehillim 131. He says, Why is David saying, I always regarded my soul as a baby nursing from its mother? It is the nefesh, the embodied soul within us. The nefesh is related to the blood that drives through our veins, the sensory experience, all that moves in our body, that is what within us desires. And he says, David is saying that everything that I desired from this world, everything that David longed for and desired in in this world, and here, when, when the Beis Yaakov is saying the things that David desired, he means all the things that David desired that seemed to be detached from God, that seemed to be distant from that which is holy. Everything that he strove for and reached for, that on the surface was something that was disconnecting him from his source. It says he was always turning his face, Baomek, in, in depth, in, in a deeper way towards God. And this is based on a teaching from his father, from the Meshilach. It says it's like a baby, that when a baby wants to take something, and I'm, I'm going to add some of the words that the, that the Meshilach brings, the baby simultaneously turns away from, his, from its mother and also is turning its face to its mother, 
So the baby doesn't want the mother to leave at the same time. I'll open the Meshilach to hear these words in, in the original. Because the Meshilach says it perhaps even more pronounced. He says, In all of the sins of Israel, there was never a detachment from their source. Everything we've ever experienced, every place in our own being, in our own relationships, in our own experiences that we have felt lost and detached, the Meshulach is saying, there is never an ultimate disconnect. It's like the baby who detaches from the breast of the mother. Even when it turns away from the mother, it is also looking toward the mother to not leave it. What the Beis Yaakov, what his son has is that, that that looking back towards the, toward our source is Ba'omek. We might not literally be turning our head both ways. We might very literally be turning our, our head away from God. We might very literally be facing away. And in a deeper sense, as we are facing away, we are also asking, I don't want you to leave me. And I would venture to say that, in a sense, our very reaching for something that we may regard or experience as other than God, as reaching away from God. I think part of what these teachings are, are bringing here is that in a deeper way, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for, for that nourishment that I'm just not getting in the direct way right now. When I'm reaching away, when I'm turning away, I'm also looking for you. What any of us do, I mean, what the things we do, 90-something percent of what we do, we do because it feels good in some way. It is feeding some piece of us. So in a sense, this process that that Bnei Sascha was describing before of the backward name, of the, in a sense, distancing from God that we experience during this time, the Meshidoch and the Bnei Yaakov are are kind of describing that within that process within ourselves. These experiences of, in a sense, turning away from, from something that, that I want to be connected to. The movements that cause a sense of disconnect and detachment and exile within my own self, or split within my own self. There's a process here. Can I recover the peace in that very turning away from self that was reaching for something to nourish me. In the very turning away that caused me to feel a sense of hopelessness, a sense of brokenness in my own being, a sense of worthlessness perhaps, or a loss of connection and value. The recovery that he's describing here is in the very reaching away. What am I truly looking for? What am I truly looking for? Can I absorb, embrace the parts of me that have turned away, that feel 
detached parts of me that I want to exile? Can I embrace them or bring them close by listening, reminding, whispering to myself? All I want is to be nourished. All I was wanting was to feel a sense of safety and embrace. All I was wanting was to feel wholeness, and I could only feel wholeness, and I can only feel wholeness sometimes by splintering away. And can I incorporate some of that wholeness into a more inclusive self, a more inclusive being? There's in a sense, he goes on later in the teaching to relate to, to that backwards name of God and the astrological sign of this month, which is Sartan, which is cancer. He says, the, the crab walks backwards. Even in our movements of backward movement, all is not lost. Even in our movements of backward movement, we are actually reaching into a point of connection, a depth of relationship that is perhaps offering us something deeper, of greater value, something that we weren't somehow able to access before. I think part of it really comes back to those opening words in the Gemara, Olam hafuch ra'iti. Right, this month is about vision. Can I look at the Olam Hafuch? Can I not turn my eyes away from those challenging realities, whether they are things external to me, whether they are the situation of the world? Like what is Tikkun Chatzot in the middle of the day? It's staring the challenging reality in the face. It's like David HaMelech, it's lifting up the abyss to a place where it can be just close enough, be spoken to, be sung to. Can I see the Olam Hafuch within me and see the parts of self that feel that I've neglected, that I've wished away but really haven't gone anywhere away, that I've been challenged by? And what did he see in his Olam Hafuch? He saw Elunim Lamata V'Tachtunim Lamala. Those points of that I regarded as low, as insignificant, as not of value, as too broken to care for, that is precisely where we are being asked to encounter in this time of year. That is precisely where we're situating ourselves. We are sitting in the broken walls of Jerusalem. We are sitting in the place where there is no temple. We are standing in the earth that feels vacant. And there isn't a quick response that comes. But there is a place to grow into that specifically we contact when we invite in and let ourselves see this Olam HaFuch. Let ourselves pay attention and give of our feeling and presence to those parts of life that generally don't have space for. This is the time of year where we can't push them away anymore.
but they're just being brought in. And the prayer within this, this process of transformation that is being at least whispered to us, is that we can develop toward knowing Havaya. We can develop toward living with a fuller sense of being along with all this. Like the Rambam says, "Im uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all this together. It's specifically incorporating all of our experience, all of this world that we live in, making space in ourselves to embrace as much of it as we can, and to hold onto it and give it its space that we can see something of God that can be expressed in fullness. So we see the Olam HaFuch and we say, okay, your name is backwards. I'm beginning to learn your name that I didn't know before. And Bezer Hashem will come to know Havaya, Havaya Shlema, the complete being, the complete name, the name through being. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Rav Daniel Cohn. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.